You're listening to the Inspired Legacy Podcast on the Edify Podcast Network. This is episode 59. Put God first. Hey guys, it's Mark, your host and founder of the Inspired Legacy. As always, this is the show that equips and inspires you to leave a godly legacy. Happy to have you guys listening. Before we get rolling, I want to share a quick word from our very first sponsor and the team over at Clicksible. People work with whom they trust, and there's no better way to establish that trust and build a brand than by educating and informing your audience. And that's where Clicksible can help. The content marketing experts at Clicksible help businesses produce meaningful, relevant, and engaging content that not only builds trust and authority, but increased leads and sales. So if you're in business and looking to grow your bottom line, there's no better long-term investment than a comprehensive content marketing plan. Go to Clicksible.com to learn how their team can help you. That's Clicksible.com, C-L-I-X-A-B-L-E.com, or shoot an email to hello at Clicksible.com if you're interested in growing your business. All right, today I'm joined by United States Senator John Thune. He serves on a number of committees in Congress and is the Senate Republican whip, which is the number two position in the Senate Republican leadership. So it's really quite an honor that he carved out time to talk with us today. John represents South Dakota, which is where I live, and I've been fortunate enough to cross paths with him on more than one occasion, and I've always been impressed with the guy. He's somebody who obviously spends a lot of time in the spotlight, yet from where I sit, he's somebody who's remained true to himself and his heritage and his faith. Now, he's not perfect, nobody is, but in a lot of ways, I think he's somebody that younger guys can look to as a role model, which is one of the reasons why I've wanted to have him on the show for quite a while. In today's episode, John and I hit on a variety of topics ranging from his youth in small town South Dakota, how those experiences shaped him into the man he is today, how he balances his role in Washington, D.C. with a busy family life back home, and how his faith has kept him grounded through it all. We also touch on America's changing culture, the threat it poses to Christians and the values we hold dear, and what we all can do to stand firm in a time when our religious liberties are under attack. Senator, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Great to be with you. Okay, we've got a lot to cover today, and I know we've got a hard stop, so we're just going to dive right in. Okay. For, for guys that maybe are, I don't know, have been living in a cave and don't tune into politics at all, give us a high-level, quick snapshot of what your role in Washington is. Well, I represent uh, our state, South Dakota, and the United States Senate. Um, was first elected to the Senate in 2004. I'm in winding up my third term. And um, I have a leadership role there. I serve as the, uh, the Republican whip, was the majority whip, now the minority whip, which is the number two position in the, in the leadership on our side of the aisle. So, um, and then, you know, I serve on several committees, but uh, have enjoyed doing the work there on behalf of South Dakota. We focus a lot on agriculture and clearly that's our number one, number one industry here. But uh, my other committee work involves taxes, trade, telecommunications, you know, broadband, uh, that kind of thing. So uh, pretty, pretty, uh, you know, broad scope of issues that we deal with, but um, all things I think that impact the the economy and hopefully the, the broader culture of our state. Yeah, man. Okay. That's good. That's good context for moving forward. So now let's look at the other side of your life. What have you got going on at home? I know your dad, I know you're, you're a grandpa. So give us a snapshot of what uh, 
John Thune's dad bio looks like. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I have two daughters who, when I ran for office the first time, were six and eight years old. They're now 31 and 33. <laughs> um, and one of them has is married, has two children. The other is married and has three. So I've got five grandkids, um, wow. all under the age of four, which uh, makes it very interesting when they all come over. But it's a great season of life. It's a surreal thing when you become a grandpa. Um, I tell people, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm okay with the concept. It's a little hard getting used to the title, right? Makes you feel, makes you feel very old, but no, you get it. You, you really get a chance to see as your kids become parents and that intergenerational impact. Um, and you know, you'd still try and stay plugged into those grandkids lives and hopefully uh, impact them in a positive way. And, and, um, and you want to see them become, uh, people of character, uh, difference makers, people who be impactful uh, for their faith. And uh, so, you know, it's a, it's, it's a challenge, of course, uh, when you've got, it's nice when they take them home at the end of the day, but uh, we enjoy <laughs> my wife and I immensely. And my wife loves being a grandma. Yeah. Yeah, man. And it's almost like, uh, you know, every dad kind of beats himself up for things that he could have done, should have done. It's almost like grandkids are a second chance in a way, right? It is. It kind of is in a way. And you, you there's, a lot of um that there is a lot of that in some yeah. way sort of redemption i guess you would say and trying to get it right with them sometimes when you didn't get it so right with your own right right so knowing that you're you're obviously a busy guy in dc busy family life how do you balance that it's uh it can be challenging at times um you know typically what i do and i've done this now for the better part of, well essentially the last 25 years is when congress is in session i'm out there when they're not um, when we're not in session out there, I'm typically in South Dakota, sometimes traveling, you know, outside the state, sometimes outside the country, but, you know, most often back here and we keep our primary residence here. Um, so my wife is here and, uh, and we have made that work for a long time, but, you know, you really do have to, I mean, you have to gear up, uh, when you're out there going to work and when you come home, kind of have to gear down and, get back to some of the normal responsibilities of life, like being a, being a husband, being a dad and, uh, and being involved in your community. But I think it's kept me rooted. I think it's kept me grounded through the years. And so I have appreciated the opportunity to be able to represent South Dakota that way, uh, maintaining a residence here and spending a lot of time here, because I think it keeps me very close to and in contact with the people I represent. And that's what our form of government is all about. It's uh, you know, it's representative democracy and, um, and you don't, uh, unless you're hearing from and sort of feeling the heartbeat of the people that you represent, it's, it's hard to do your job well. Yeah, for sure. Well, as a resident of South Dakota, uh, I think I can speak for everybody. We, we appreciate and respect the fact that you do make that commitment to spend so much time back at home. So I always kind of like to start from the beginning, take us way back. You're obviously uh, born and raised in South Dakota, represent South Dakota. What was it like growing up in small town, South Dakota? I love the experience. Um, I grew up in Murdo, which is on Interstate 90, about 200, a little more than 200 miles west of here, west of Sioux Falls, I should say. And, um, you know, a town now about 500 people, but it was a small school. Uh, so you got to participate in a lot of things. I tell people you didn't have to be good. You just had to be there. So, you know, I played all the sports. I played uh, tuba in the band, sang in the swing choir. I even tried uh, oratory one year, but um, got to participate in a lot of activities and really enjoyed that experience, the small town experience. I was blessed to have some really good teachers who were committed to 
um, you know, helping me learn and, uh, and preparing me, equipping me for the future. Uh, and obviously small town life gave you a chance to do things, hunting and fishing and outdoors things that uh, I really valued and appreciated. And it was something that my dad, uh, enjoyed doing as well. So it was, um, it was a great experience growing up there. One, I wouldn't change for anything. Um, you know, sometimes I think when you get out of your small town, you get to a bigger setting and you feel a little bit intimidated by that, but the more, um, you get out, you realize, uh, just how grateful you are for those experiences and for the way that it shaped your character, your, your view of the world. And, uh, and I think really gave you a skill set that, uh, that helped you succeed. So, um, you know, I, I always tell people when I was growing up, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have cell phones. Um, my life began and ended at the city limits of Murdo. Um, uh, typically a big day for us was going to pier and, you know, pier had a taco John's, they had a movie theater, um, you know, and so that was living large, sure. but, um, but I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm enormously and eternally grateful for that experience and that opportunity. Do you think your small town roots have helped you maintain a sort of a common sense approach to what you do in Washington? Yeah, I do. I really think that there's a, there's a common sense, you know, my dad used to call it uh, just uh, old, plain old flash, old fashioned horse sense. He'd always say, you know, that's just, that's just, that's just old fashioned horse sense. And, you know, I just think that you do, when you come from that kind of a background, um, you have a perspective on life that I think is, is different than yeah. a lot of the people that you work with. The people that I rub shoulders with and work with on a daily basis, many come from large populated areas of the country. And I don't think relate as well to, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of the way they view the issues, even understanding of what it's like to live in a rural area, um, what some of the, the challenges and adversity of distance and geography and uh, sparsity when it comes to population, what that can mean. And, and I think you, you become growing up in a small town, I believe more resourceful. Sometimes I think you do have a, uh, sort of a, an internal common sense that guides and governs you. And I've always believed that that has, I've, you know, applied that in my, in my work and in the way that I view things, um, in the way I interact with people, I, I think people in, you know, they call it Midwest nice, but I think that, um, those of us who come from this area of the country are inclined to be people who want to build bridges and try to uh, bring reconciliation, try to uh, find common ground. That seems to me to be a common trait that I see in, in people from this part of the country. And that isn't to say that people from other parts of the country don't have their attributes and, and qualities that are good as well. But it took me a while to get used to people on the East Coast because they're very abrupt sometimes, a little prickly. And, you know, we're just very um, open and, and authentic and, and you, you have to learn how to interact with all types of people. But I think it's the skill set of being able to work through things, try and find common ground, learn how to cooperate and build bridges are all qualities that I think uh, I learned in South Dakota uh, growing up in the small town of Myrtle. Yeah, I would agree with that. So here's a question that I wasn't really planning on, but um would you say that the, the small town attributes that you just described, I think that it's a, something that can be learned to a degree, don't you think? And, and so my question is, how can guys, because I think that's something that most people want their kids to aspire to, regardless of where they come from geographically. So what, what can they do practically to sort of instill that into their kids if maybe they reside or come from someplace other than the Midwest? Yeah, you know, I think it's... Um 
there, yeah, there, there are definitely things that can be learned. And I think that um, teaching young people, you know, kind of how to be independent, how to, you know, make decisions on their own, um, how to be resourceful, how to work with their hands are all things that can be taught. And sometimes you don't have to be in a certain place to be able to do that um, because those are, those are kind of universal skills. It just so happens that they come more naturally. I think when you grow up in a place like South Dakota, where you have to utilize them more frequently. But I do think that if you're a parent in a, in a bigger city, um, instilling in and teaching those um, not only character qualities, but also kind of those basic skills are things that, that any parent can do. It just takes time. And, you know, one of the things, fortunately, that when I was growing up, we had, the luxury of my dad did have some time, although he was a very busy guy. He worked year round and uh, sometimes multiple jobs uh, to make ends meet. But it always seemed like in the evening and occasionally on weekends and Sundays in particular, he had time to plug into things. And the one thing he could do, and my mom used to say this about my dad, so your dad can fix anything. And, you know, when stuff broke down at our house, you know, we didn't a lot of times you didn't have the money to, to hire the, the electrician or the plumber or, to somebody to come in and fix it. My dad did a lot of that stuff on his own. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, when it came to um, installing a new water heater or uh, doing things that required welding, um, you know, replacing toilets, stuff like that. Those were just things that he was able to do. And um, I wish, honestly, Mark, I had spent more time <laughs> observing and learning because, you know, when you get into life, you either learn how to do those things or you pay somebody else to do them. Right. And uh, you know, if you're if you're fortunate enough to be able to have the resources to pay somebody else, that's great. But it's uh, it's much better to know how to do it yourself. Hundred percent. And talk about resourcefulness. He didn't have YouTube to look up. Well, how do I weld this? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I can't imagine. Yeah, it's trial and error. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Trial and error. I, well, and I just remember. You know, I remember one time we were we were doing some drywall. Uh, and my, my dad managed a motel in the summer months. He taught school during the school year, but I was up on a, we were up on the, the, um, the beams and I stepped onto the drywall and went through and I <laughs> tore a big chunk out of my leg. And so it was just bleeding profusely. Um, and of course my dad being resourceful, um, figured out how to, you know, do it, do a tourniquet and, and stop the bleeding. And then we drove to white river 25 miles South. And there was a physician's assistant down there who was a former army doctor and he grabbed a needle and some big old thread. And I've still got a scar about this long on my, on my leg from that. But, you know, it's just things that you, those are things that you, you learn how to do, you know, how to, you, you know how to do sometimes by necessity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, I know your parents were, they played a huge part in your life, obviously. Um, and I know they're both passed and I, I believe your dad passed last August. And I was sad to hear that because I know he was a, a special man and played a big role in your life. Looking back, what have been some of the greatest blessings from your parents, um, from your upbringing that maybe have translated to your own journey as a dad, or maybe even impacted your role in Washington? I think, um, the, for sure, the foundation of faith. I mean, it really started there for my parents and my parents, um, you know, they were not, uh, they, they came to Christ later in life. They were in their 30s. Uh, my dad was a really a, a really accomplished guy. First, really Division One athlete to come out of South Dakota. Uh, played uh, started for three years at the University of Minnesota as a basketball player. Was the most valuable player his his junior year there. And then, soon as the as he was done in in uh, 1941, um, he signed up because uh, I should say the spring of 42 he signed up because war had broken out. So he became a naval aviator. 
uh, flew combat missions over the Pacific off an aircraft carrier, and shot down four enemy aircraft, was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross. And so he was just a, a very accomplished guy. But when he came back to my hometown, by this time, he'd married my mom, who we met when he was at the University of Minnesota. Um, and he brought her to South Dakota to Murdo. She grew up <laughs> in the Twin Cities. And at that time, Murdo didn't have a gravel Main Street. It didn't have an asphalt Main Street. It had a dirt Main Street. Uh, so it was the essence of a small town. And um, pretty quickly had three kids. And just, uh, you know, things kind of, they were tough. His um you know, the, uh, they were part of the party crowd. Um, they were, you know, the marriage was really struggling. In fact, uh, if truth be told, I think they were pretty much kind of close to, to, to maybe, um, you know, not making it. And a friend of my dad's from high school came back from California, got my dad and my mom involved in a Bible study and they came to know Christ and it changed their lives. And from wow. that point forward, um, their mission was to make sure that not only their kids, but the others that they came into contact with uh, knew him and uh, and followed him. So that faith foundation was critically important, more important to them, particularly after they became uh, Christians than pretty much anything else in life. And and uh, to his uh, you know to his deathbed, to my mom's deathbed, uh, they would tell you that that was hands down by far the most important decision they ever made and impacted everything they, they, they did since. Yeah. What a cool story of transformation. I'm curious, maybe you don't know the answer to this, but you know, in a small town, everybody knows everybody's business. And so they go from this one lifestyle, they come to know Jesus, they kind of change their ways. Like, did they get pushback from old friends? Like, you know, come on out, have a drink. And yeah. you know, how did they, how did they steer clear of that after they well, kind of profess their faith? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it was very hard. I mean, they, they, um, they did a 180. I mean, they, they quit, they quit all that stuff. Um, you know, and I just, you, you talk about uh, something that is truly transformational person's life. And that's the power of the Holy spirit, which, you know, obviously became evident to them when they, when they became uh, believers in Jesus. And so it did, it changed everything they did. And in a small town, the crowd you run with, and, you know, even the church they attended after a few years, they decided to, start another church, them and a few couples. And so that was very controversial, very controversial. My dad at the time was in the business. He was in a hardware business, which he had taken over from his father who had since passed away. And, um, you know, they felt the impact of that. Uh, it was, it was very, very hard at the time. And I think, you know, time heals. And I think people through the years, um, as you know, from generation to generation, uh, started becoming more acceptant of of that decision on their part, but, uh, it certainly had an impact and, uh, and they experienced that in a very personal way. And so it wasn't a, a decision that was out without consequence for them, but it was one, like I said, that they, um, when it was, when they made that decision, it was full steam ahead. This podcast is part of the edify podcast network. Edify is a faith inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Let's transition into your political life a little bit, not getting into politics per se, but you know, coming from a small town, I'm sure what you're doing now was not even on your radar. So how did you get into politics? Did you always have an aspiration for it or did somebody sort of like, did you capture somebody's attention and they kind of took you under their wing? How did that all transpire? 
uh, I didn't have um, an aspiration for it. I mean, when I was, you know, growing up in Murdo, my aspiration was to play in the NBA. Um, <laughs> like every every young kid, right? You want to you want to play professional sports, but um, but no, I had a, a chance meeting as a freshman in high school. Um, we have a tournament out in Murdo every year; still goes. My my dad helped start it. Uh, almost, I think, 60 years ago now. Oh, wow. And it called the, the Jones County Invitational Tournament. It's the longest running tournament of its kind in the state. Uh, it was a three-day tournament, and I was a freshman in high school playing some varsity ball. I got into the game Friday night, which would be the second night, the semifinals. And um, I had six attempts at the free throw line. Well, I made five of them. So anyway, next day, um, I'm in the department store, which at that time, uh, we had one in Murdo. And I was buying something at the checkout counter and the guy in the line behind me taps me on the shoulder and I turn around. He says, I noticed you missed one last night. <laughs> and I'm like, who's this smart Alec? You know, I made five out of six. I'm a freshman, right? Give me a break. And he introduced himself as Congressman Jim Abner. And he was one of that time. Con South Dakota had two congressmen in the house. We now only have one. We're what we call an at-large state. But he represented the western part of South Dakota. And that was my first um, association with uh, a, you know, a national or political figure, so to speak. And so I kind of started following him, uh, his political career. He started sort of, he kept following my sports career. And uh, after I got out of grad school at the University of South Dakota, he offered me a job in Washington, D.C. to work on his staff. So I went out there and my wife and I had just gotten married and um, we thought this is great. We'll have it on a resume. You know, it'd be nice. One of those things that, you know, you can be a, something to talk about down the road. And, um, got a chance four years later or so to move back to South Dakota, but that experience got me interested in it. It whetted my appetite. It, it was something that convinced me that it was a place where you could make a difference, a place maybe where I had some aptitude and, and uh, ability to, to offer. Uh, and so that was really the start of that. And had it not been for that meeting in uh, Lee's department store on the main street of Murdo back in January of 1976, I'm quite certain I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. And when I run into young people, I always tell them, you know, when a door opens, don't be afraid to walk through it and see what's on the other side. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes you, you plan to do something in life. You have a certain aspiration thing that you train to do. And then, you know, God opens a door and that was certainly the case for me. So, um, you know, lo and behold, here we are. Uh, I had gotten a, a business degree in undergraduate and then a graduate, uh, an MBA from the university of South Dakota, thinking that, Someday, you know, I'd go into that field and, um, and, you know, the Lord had other plans. So, yeah. God uh, puts people in our lives to steer yeah. us and, and open doors, like you said. So now having been in politics for what, 15, 18, 20 years, somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, well, some people, some people would say way, say way too long, Mark. But yeah. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's approaching 25. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 25. So you, you've climbed the ladder as a prominent man in, in DC, you know, you're, you're constantly under the spotlight being criticized and second guessed for your decisions. So how do you, and I'm not even talking as a politician now, just as a man, like how do you handle that? How do you keep that from just like shattering your confidence? Well, it's, it's, it's hard as you know, it's, it's hard in this era because um, the, 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 the rhetoric, the dialogue has gotten so much harsher and yeah. you know, the, the vitriol in politics today is, um, Unlike anything I've seen in my time, and, you know, and, and politics has always been hard hitting. You yeah. know, they always say it's not beanbag and it's not. And if you're going to go down that path, you have to be ex expect you're going to get attacked, expect you're going to get shot at. 
But I think today is even more than normal. And a lot of it has to do with social media platforms and everybody's on them. And, you know, you start reading the comment section and you can get yourself in a, into a downward spiral in a, hur- a hurry. So you have to, um, you, you basically have to not take that stuff personally as hard as that is. And I think that has to do with having an identity that is other than something that's shaped by what people are saying about you. And, and that really comes down again to your relationship with Christ and, and the identity that you have in him. And then that obviously, um, it makes it much easier than if you realize that your, your worth is not shaped by what other people think of you. And um, it's, it's important perspective to keep. I've had people tell me in the past that you have to keep your political life and your personal life separate because if you allow them to intersect, you start believing everything that's said about you. And some days that may be good, although these days there's not much of that. But, um, you know, there's also a lot of just a lot of bad. It can really drag you down. So you, you do have to, you know, you've got to put on that um, that armor, so to speak, mm-hmm. and uh, and just be prepared to as the arrows come to deflect them as best you can. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been rereading Proverbs. It's been a while since I'd read it. And scattered throughout that text and i can't quote scripture like you can but you know it basically says over and over in so many words keep your mouth shut (laughs) (laughs) you know know when to keep your mouth shut and don't be an idiot and so that really has me reflecting on how i behave online and it's just not worth it because it just like you said it spirals out of control and i think so many people they just get sucked right in and i'm sure it's easy that's easy to do or it's easy to fall into that trap um when you're at work as well. It is. And there's, you know, there's so much, there's so many things that you, you might see. And honestly, I've kind of tried to make a, a practice of, of uh, getting away from some of that stuff. Um, in fact, I, you know, we post content on social media platforms because it's a, it's a part of my job. It's how we communicate what we're doing. But the, 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 the feed, the news feed sometimes that comes on a, on a social media platform for like Twitter, for example, I basically quit it in June of last year. I just, Good I was like, you. you know, you can't, cause you get up in the morning and you're on it. It's the last thing you do at night. And so it, it shapes the way you, you feel about yourself and in, in the world and it can kind of get you just sort of starts dragging you down. So yeah. I just really don't as, as much as possible anymore, pay that much attention to it. But the, the harshness of it and um, the tone, I think, is, uh, is something that is, I guess, maybe it's going to stay with us. Maybe it's a part of the, you know, built in now to the modern fabric of our political discourse. But I hope that we can aspire to be better than that. And, you know, I always hearken back to uh, you were talking about the scriptures, but, you know, Proverbs 3 um, it says, do not let kindness and truth leave you, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Yep. For so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of both God and man. And, um, I just think that if you speak the truth and, you know, on your social media presence and do it in a spirit of kindness, I have a friend who says, you know, there's, there, it doesn't cost you anything to be nice. Yep. And I just think if you approach it that way, knowing you're going to disagree with people, but, uh, not get dragged in into all the personal attacks, um, you know, and they are many. But I think think about, especially if you're a if you're a Jesus follower, um, if the things that you're saying online would they bring honor to Him? Would they glorify Him? And right. I think that's something you really have to think about because 
uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it, it gets out of hand and out of control. And I'm not talking about just, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about people of faith too, who get into these conversations and start hurling accusations and insults. And, and that doesn't, uh, that's just not the, the character I think that, uh, Christ would want to see in us. Yeah. hundred percent. Amen. Well, uh, we've been talking about faith. Faith is obviously a big part about how I parent. It's a big plays a big role in how guys listening parent. And it's a big pillar of the inspired legacy as a Christian. You know, I, I scan the headlines and the more I learn about this equality act Mm. scares the heck out of me. Yeah. So I'm just, before we wrap up here, I'm just wondering, you know, what can you tell us about it? And as Christians, should we be worried? Well, yes. And I think it's, it's a, it's a, a reason to be prayerful pray for our country, pray that, that there would be conviction brought about that, about uh, our, our disobedience in some of those areas. And, um, and that, you know, that God would bring revival really to our country and help us to view those issues the way that he views them through the lens that he sees them. And, uh, but yeah, this whole uh, notion of now allowing um, somebody who is biologically one way to identify a different way and therefore to be able to compete against me is just a, a completely antithetical to not only, uh, you know, what God would have us do, but also just uh, the laws of nature. I mean, you just yeah. look at things and, and he made us differently, uniquely and with different qualities and attributes and men and women. And as a father of two daughters and now three granddaughters, uh, I certainly don't want to see them having to compete against biological boys, you know. And um, I, to me, this is this is really, really dangerous ground. And uh, the House of Representatives has been acting on a lot of legislation that uh, they're sending over to the Senate um, that represents a very far left view of the world. Uh, and I think we have to we have to respond to that. We have to be engaged with the culture, um, obviously speak the truth, do it in a spirit of kindness. You know, you don't have to go on the attack, but I think you have to stand your ground. I think you've got to stand strong, um, for the principles and the values, uh, that, uh, you know, that, um, the God wants us to live by in, in obedience and, um, and, and in the public square, uh, be strong advocates for those values and for those principles. So, um, you know, don't run away. Don't uh, from people because there's a a lot of the groups promoting that agenda are very they're very militant. They're activists. They're in your grill. They're in your face. You got to stand strong um, and uh, project strength against that. But I think you, when you speak the truth, you can do that in a in a spirit of kindness, uh, in you know mutual respect. But uh, we've got to stand up against that that agenda. That agenda is very dangerous. I think um, to our country and to our heritage, mm-hmm. uh, people of faith, people who want to live out their faith and want to enjoy um, freedom of conscience, religious liberty, all those things are really being threatened uh, by the agenda that's being pushed by the far left in this country these days. Yeah, I think, you know, standing firm against that um, requires an equal measure of truth and grace. And I think that's where the the armor of God really is going to help help us in that fight. And I feel like, I don't know what the answer is, but I feel like there's a way to more surgically precisely address some of these issues, but they're just coming at it with a sledgehammer. So it, yeah, they are, they are. And I, you know, I think that um, there's always a better way to do to it than, but they, a lot of what happens in, in politics at least is there are people who believe that they can achieve their agenda through political means. 
and they want to use government as the as the tool to bludgeon people with uh, to get them to behave a certain way. And and really, what uh, I think people of faith need to be doing is living out their their faith day to day, um, and that will be reflected in our leadership. You know, I've always believed that political leadership in this country reflects what's happening. In, in the country, and that when you start, when the country starts changing, when revival comes to human hearts, then you'll see that in our in our political leadership as well. And and then in many ways, um, a lot of people will say, uh, you know, culture is downstream from politics. Politics affects all that, and it does to a degree. But I also think politics is downstream from culture. I think that a yeah. lot of times what you'll see is what's happening in our culture becomes reflected in our politics. So. If we can start, um, you know, living out the Great Commission and trying to reach people with the truth, uh, draw them to to the Lord, then uh, I think that that starts being reflected in the type type of people that we elect to governmental positions and leadership as well. So it's um, that's our our mission and our calling. And uh, it doesn't matter where the, whether you work in politics or business or education or healthcare or whatever your sphere of life is. It's to be salt and light um, and to bring those uh, those values, those principles to bear um, in your own life and hopefully to be able to share those with others as well. Mm, that's good stuff. That's a good rally cry. And I feel like it's probably a good place to wrap it up. I want to get you out of here and be respectful of your time. Senator, is there anything anything else you'd like to say to, to men? Um, and as it relates to the stuff that we've been talking about, culture influencing politics, anything that you recommend guys could do civically to like I don't know, get involved or, or do their part? Well, I think one thing I would say, Mark, and, and I appreciate the question is um, with guys, you know, like, like me, and like I said, I've learned this lesson kind of the hard way, but don't start your day with this or yeah. end your day with this. Um, start and end your day with the word of God, you know, and I just think being people of the book is so important right now. And the, the power of the scriptures, and I've been increasingly reminded of that this last year, the chaplain in the United States Senate is a guy named Barry Black, and he's a, he has tremendous command of the scriptures. Um, and he's been a real inspiration to me to just be more, to pray the scriptures, to be in the word, because that's where the power is. You know, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness three times, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, I would just encourage, dad, encourage dads, um, particularly if they've got younger ones that they're going to be influencing, um, to start to to, uh, to get into the Word. And as you do, it'll change your character and your heart, and you'll become the kind of example um, to that young boy or that young girl that you're raising. And so, I just encourage dads to be, you know, be men of the book, uh, be men of the Word, and um, allow uh, the Spirit to take that Word and start changing and transforming your life in a way that uh, reflects on others. And so, um, you know, Lord knows uh, we need good young citizens. We need uh, young people who are going to be difference makers. And it starts with, uh, with us as parents. Mm, It's good stuff, John. I want to thank you for your time, man. Appreciate it. Always good being with you and Mark. Thanks. And thanks for your good questions and uh, best to you and your family. Guys, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, share it with a friend and subscribe to the show so you don't miss future episodes like the one you heard today. And be sure to check today's show notes for all the ways you can stay plugged into the Inspired Legacy, including my free download called Nine Ways to Be a Better Dad. You can sign up for my free weekly devotional called Inspired Inbox. 
And you can join the private Facebook group, a community of other like-minded men looking to become the best husbands and fathers they can be. So get plugged in, like, subscribe, leave a review, and help more guys find the show because we need more men battling together for the sake of the next generation. Until next time, live inspired.